You're listening to the Embrace Church podcast. You're about to hear a message recorded from a live service here in South Dakota. Wherever you're at today, we hope this message encourages you to take a step towards Jesus. Let's jump in. Hey, Embrace, so good to be with you today. uh, My name is Travis, and we are in a new series called Weird Stuff Christians Do. Uh, Before I get into that, though, a lot of you might know I am the T campus pastor. I hang out in T quite a bit, and we could not be more excited about building a new home in T. We're so excited about it. Yeah, give it up for that. We're so excited, and I just wanted to kind of publicly say thank you to all of you. I mean, there's no way we could be doing this building if it wasn't every single campus coming around in prayer and supporting it. And so we are so thankful to all the campuses for that. Uh, we want to invite you out. Oh, this is, this is a picture. They're already, go back one slide, sorry. They're like, we're... They're already going to town out there. It's great. So just go find Subway. We've been hanging out in Subway for like nine years. So like, just go find Subway and see uh, the work that's going on uh, out there. But we want to invite you out on April 23rd. So that's just next Sunday at 4 p.m. We're going to be doing a groundbreaking celebration. And so it's just going to be like a 25-minute long thing. Adam's going to share a little. I'm going to share a little. We're going to pray over the land. But we just want to celebrate because this is amazing. And so we invite all of you at every campus to come out Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Bring a shovel. We're going to do some groundbreaking. And if we get super motivated, we might just build the whole building. Let's just go, man. We're going to go. We're just going to keep going and get it, get it done. So that's next Sunday. We would love to just pack the land over there and have an awesome celebration. Okay, so getting in our message for today, weird stuff Christians do. Uh, Just to officially acknowledge it, Christians, we do a lot of weird stuff. If you don't know anything about God and Jesus and you come into a church, you might have a few questions like, what the heck are they doing? They all get around and they're singing these songs together. From upstage, the guy's using words. I have never heard anybody use words like this before. Why are they drinking Jesus' blood and eating his body? That's a weird one. Come on. Everyone's got, that is a weird one. There's all kinds of weird stuff that we do. And so the hope in this series is to take these weird things and give a little context to it, explain a little bit of why we do them so we can better understand it. So the first thing that we are looking at today, the first weird thing that Christians do is Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Now, if you went to church, grew up in church, heard of somebody that went to church, you probably heard someone say, you should read your Bible. But if you think about it, the Bible is kind of weird. Uh, For one, the Bible is a super old book. Like parts of the Bible are 3,500 years old. And it talks about a people and a culture that is completely foreign to our modern uh, ears. So it's, it's an old book, but it's also a very big book. There is almost 800,000 words in the Bible. 
So if you wanted to read the Bible straight through, it would take you 70 hours, unless you're a speed reader. God bless you if you're a speed reader. 70 hours. So if you started right now and you took no bathroom breaks, no sleeping breaks, no eating breaks, it would take you almost three days to get through the entire Bible. It is massive. It's also confusing. The Bible really isn't a book. It's a library. There is 66 different books in here, and they're all a little bit different. They all have like a lot of different authors that have written these different books. There's prophetic books, there's poetic books, there's history books, and then there's these crazy like apocalyptic books that talk about like dragons and beasts and numbers like 666. So super confusing. But not only is it confusing, there's parts of it that are just downright boring. Uh, there's genealogies. Like, it's like reading someone's ancestry.com profile. It's just like, Dave, this person beget this person, beget this person. There's just these big ancestors. There's blueprints in here on how to build the ark, how to build the temple. And they go on and on and on. There's some big time boring parts. Some people would even say the Bible's a bit backwards. Like, hey, we've come so far in society. Like, we're so enlightened in the Bible. It's, it's backwards. It's anti-woman. It's anti-science. It's violent. It tries to suppress our sexuality. And taking one more step further, lastly, some people would say that the Bible's brainwashing. It's like, you read that thing and you believe it? You actually read this thing and believe it. You actually read this thing and you do what it says. Like, do you have a brain? Do you even use your rational mind to understand the world? You just believe what the Bible says. So why is the Bible weird? Well, it's an old, big, confusing, boring, backwards, brainwashing book. That about covers it, doesn't it? Now, my guess in a room this big, um, some of you have had some of these thoughts before about the Bible, I know that I've had many of these thoughts before. So today, if you've been weirded out by the Bible, or maybe you just have a few questions about the Bible, my hope is to give us a little bit of a different perspective, maybe one that you've never considered before. So this morning, I have five reasons, five reasons why you should consider taking this book, this weird book, seriously. Just to forewarn you, uh, every once in a while I go in teacher mode, and this morning I'm getting a little teachery, so there's a lot of facts, a lot of stuff going on here, and so if you want to take notes, if you want to take pictures of any of this stuff, feel free uh, to do it, but everyone loves a good teacher, right? So the first reason that you should consider taking this weird book seriously is its durability. Its durability. A lot of people look at the Bible and they criticize it for being old, but I don't think that should be a criticism. This right here, this is a picture of Stonehenge. So Stonehenge was created in 3000 BC. It has over a million people that come and visit it every single year. Now, I've never been to Stonehenge. It's actually on my bucket list. I would love to go visit it someday. But I'm pretty sure when people go and visit Stonehenge, they don't sit up and look up at this massive rock structure and say, man, I'm just going to criticize this for being so old. No, they don't do that. They don't criticize it for being old. What do you do? You, they marvel that it's still standing. Let me say it one more time. They don't criticize Stonehenge because it's old. You marvel because it is still standing. Now, I believe this is the same thing with the Bible. 
In no way we should criticize it because it's old. We should marvel as how is this book still around? How has it been around for 3,500 years if you count the Old Testament? How are people still reading it and thinking about it today? This book has endured the rise and fall of nations and empires. It started with the Jewish people, then it went to Rome and Greece, and then it went all throughout Europe, and then it went to North America and South America, and then it moved to Africa and India and Asia. It has literally circumnavigated the entire globe. Not only that, the whole Bible has been translated into 700 different languages. If you count just the New Testament, it's been translated into 1,400 different languages. They're estimated, and this blew me away, there's estimated to be 5 billion copies of the Bible in the world. 5 billion, with a B, 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 I can say this, billion copies of the Bible. And the Bible app, which a lot of us maybe have on our phone, has been downloaded over 550 million times. I don't think we should criticize the Bible because it's old. We should be asking the question, how is it still standing? And not only standing, it's thriving. If you look at the world, the Bible is moving and it is thriving. I mean, a good book might sell a few million copies. A great book might get translated into a few languages. But this book, billion copies, translated into almost every language, and it has existed and stood the test of millennium. That's insane. Here's the point. A book does not last that long. It does not get printed that many times. It does not exist through that many cultures if there isn't something in it that's worth reading. If you've been ho-hum about the Bible, oh, God, it's just an old book, ho-hum, man, you got to change your perspective. The durability of the Bible is unmatched by any book in history. Nothing even touches it. Nothing even touches it. The second reason why you should consider taking this weird book seriously is its effect. Its effect. There's a guy named Tom Holland. Uh, Not this Tom Holland. This one. One is Spider-Man and one is a British historian. Just for all the middle school girls in the room, which one's cuter? You know, which one's cuter? If you don't know that, middle school girls go nuts over Spider-Man. But uh, Tom Holland, the British historian, uh, he wrote a powerful book called Dominion. And in his book, he makes this discovery that the Bible has literally changed the world. Like it it has changed everything about our world. Now, the important thing to know about Tom Holland is Tom is not a pastor. He isn't a Christian. He isn't even Spider-Man. That was funny. No, it wasn't, I guess. Okay. (laughs) He is just a historian. Now, I want to show you a clip of something that Tom says, mostly because he's just got this amazing British accent. Uh, But he is sharing about Paul's letters in the New Testament. So Paul wrote about half the New Testament, and he's writing about the effect, the impact that Paul's letters had on our culture and our world. That one verse can have throughout the history. It's, it's, it's just one it's verse. Absolutely it's absolutely astonishing. And I, I think of, um, say, Paul's letters, which when I was a child and I'd be sitting in that church that I showed you and we'd have the reading from one of Paul's letters, I never understood a word of it. 
I mean, it just, it meant nothing to me. And now I think these texts, these letters are the most revolutionary letters ever written. They are like depth charges that were placed under the fabric of the Roman world and triggered. And to begin with, people in the Roman world couldn't feel them. And then there'd be a little ripple. And then there'd be another kind of ripple. And then the buildings would start to shake. And then by the end of the process, everything had been utterly altered. And we're still feeling those ripple effects now. You know, the, the, the seismic effect is shaking out and still shaking the world to this day. They are, they are astonishing, astonishing letters. And yet those letters are just one part of this huge collection of texts that we call the Bible. And almost every book contains something that has convulsed the world. Once again, Tom, he's not a pastor, he's not a Christian, he is a historian, and this is what he says, almost every book contains something that has convulsed the world. He, he talks about it like a depth charge. I don't know if you know what a depth charge is. They're underwater bombs that would to blow up submarines, and so you wouldn't, if a, if a depth charge blew up, you wouldn't see the explosion from above, but you would see the ripples on the water. He's saying that's what the Bible is. It's like a depth charge under the water, and you can see the ripples everywhere. The effect the Bible has had on our culture is so dramatic, so permeating, so all-encompassing that we don't even realize it anymore. In his book, he goes to great lengths to explain this in detail. He explains, if we don't think we need the Bible anymore, we need to have a better understanding of what the Bible has given us. So many things that we hold as the highest values in our culture were given to us by the Bible. I mean, do you like the idea that all people are created equal? Do you like the idea that all people have worth? In the ancient world, this idea was completely foreign. I mean, it did not exist. People did not have equal worth. You had all these different classes. But then Paul comes around and he writes this little verse in the New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that verse changes everything. Do you think it's important to care for the poor? Do you think it's important to help people in need? Once again, did not exist in the ancient word. If you were poor, you were in your own class, the rich were in their own class, you didn't help each other. And Tom Holland, he says in his book, he said that the early Christians were so convulsed by the picture of the cross, that Jesus, that God came down to the earth in Jesus, a man with no property, no wealth, and he died on a cross, which is a death that a poor slave would have had. So every time a Christian saw a poor person, they couldn't help but seeing the face of Jesus in them. And it completely convulsed the world. How about something like sexual consent? Do you think that's important? Do you think people should have some boundaries in the area of sex? Once again, not true in ancient Rome. A free Roman man could have relations with anyone, anytime, for any reason. I'm not getting into the details, but any word is very important on that. And then the Bible comes along. It brings this sexual ethic and it convulses the world. 
There's so many more we could go into. The abolishment of slavery, the civil rights movement, the growing literacy rates, the foundation of science, the building of schools and hospitals. If you love any of these things, it might be worth reading the Bible in which they were founded. It truly has convulsed the whole world. The third reason you should consider taking this weird book seriously is its story. The story of the Bible, especially the story of Christ, is one of the most powerful ones that have ever been told. I was coming home from youth group with my son, A, and he's, he's 13 years old. And he said to me when I went home, he's like, Dad, he's like, I don't know how to tell you this. He's like, I just don't think the Bible's very interesting. He's like, it's not like Harry Potter. Don't judge me, okay? It's not like Harry Potter. Like, it's interesting, and like, there's all this drama and stuff. He's like, you read the Bible, it's just kind of boring. It was almost like he was just trying to let me down easy. He's like, Dad, I know you're a pastor, and you think this book is super interesting, but it's really not. And so I said to him, I said, uh, Ian, that's my son's name, I said, what happens at the end of Harry Potter? If you're reading the books, close your ears right now, because I'm about to spoil it for you. I said, Harry goes out into the woods to give up his life for his friends, and then he dies. But he comes back to life, and he defeats Voldemort, who is death itself. I said, does that story sound familiar? Sacrifice, resurrection, death, defeated. And the light bulb went on in his eyes. He had no idea that the most interesting book he knew came from one of the most uninteresting books he thought existed. Now you would think, oh, just Harry Potter. Yeah, right. The Matrix, Endgame, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Paw Patrol, the movie. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know about that one. But (laughs) the list could go on and on. Isn't it weird that people still keep using this weird book to tell their stories? but it's because of what happened to Jesus, what really happened to him. The Jesus story isn't a made-up story. His sacrifice and his resurrection is one of the most ultimate epic stories of all time. And I think we know this. If If we really dig deep in our heart, I think we know that the story of self sacrifice is the ultimate story. The story of someone conquering death, it is the ultimate story. It's almost like someone's written that story on our hearts. So if you like any of these movies, if you like any of these stories, it might be worth reading the book, which a lot of them are based on. Reason number four, that you should consider taking this weird book seriously is its depth. I know the Bible can seem a bit confusing, but I don't think that's the best way to look at it. One of the early teachers in the church, his name was Origen, and if your name is Origen, you're destined to be a Bible teacher, I think. But uh, Origen said this. He said, the Bible is like a house in which all the rooms are locked, and the keys are not in the keyholes, but scattered in all the rooms and on the stairs. He goes on to say, he's like, you got to pick up the keys and you got to test them in the key locks to try to open the rooms that you have never been in before. 
Isn't that a beautiful way of thinking about the Bible? Instead of a confusing book, it's almost like it's a treasure hunt. You have these keys and you're trying to figure out which doors they go in to unlock rooms that you've never been in before. The Bible can be super tough to understand at parts, but I think that's what makes it so great. It wouldn't be a great book if it was easy to read. It wouldn't be a great book if you could get down to the bottom of it in an hour or two. Instead, people have been reading and writing and thinking about the Bible for over 3,500 years, and they still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. There's still more keys to open more rooms. If you like treasure hunts, you might like reading the Bible. Lastly, The final reason you should consider reading this weird book is its divinity. Now, up to this point, I've tried to kind of use some real-world examples of why you should uh, read the Bible. Uh, But this one is a bit different. And this one might be out there for some of you. Like, you might not agree with that, and that's totally okay. But the Bible actually tells us that it's divine. That it came from God. So it's not just a good book. It's not just a great book. It's not just an interesting book. It is a book from God. 2 Timothy tells us this. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This picture is so cool. The Bible claims that When you read it, it is like God breathes his breath into you. When you read the words of Scripture, God is breathing into you the life. He's spiritually making you come alive. On the front end, we said one of the objections to the Bible is that it is brainwashing. That's about, I have a different perspective on Christians. We don't believe that the Bible is brainwashing. We believe that it is mind-renewing. Like when the Bible, when God breathes his life into you, it changes you, it renews your mind, it sets you on the right path, it teaches you about who God is. Another word used to describe the Bible is God's revelation, and that's a big word, but revelation just means uncovering. Think of uh, if you're at a wedding and, and the bride's walking down the aisle with a veil and she comes up to the groom and the groom pulls up the veil to reveal the beauty of the bride to everybody else. That's what the Bible does. It lifts up the veil on God to reveal him to us, to uncover who God is to the world. Maybe, just maybe, there's more to this book than you ever thought there is. Maybe, just maybe, this book is divine. Maybe, just maybe, you can find out something about God from this So the five reasons why I think you should consider seriously this weird book, its durability, its effect, its story, its depth, its divinity. I remember about um, probably 25 years ago, I was maybe longer than that now, I'm getting kind of old, um, but I was sitting in my country church in Freeman, South Dakota, and I decided to get baptized. And so I went forward, and they, 
I had to give my testimony and they sprinkled water on my head. We didn't have cattle tanks. I didn't go all the way under. I'm only half holy. That's fine. Um, and so I gave my testimony, got baptized, and my grandpa came up and he gave me my first Bible. Well, first Bible, at least for me. And it was an NIV study Bible that had tabs on the side so I could figure out which book I was in. And I remember my grandpa, he told me a lot of things, but he told me, he said, hey, go home and read the book of Proverbs. He says, because in Proverbs, there's so much wisdom for life. And so I went home, I went up into my room, and I started reading through the book of Proverbs, and it was super confusing. I had no idea what I was talking about. I felt weird reading it, and I honestly felt very self-conscious reading the Bible. I was like, what if my friends knew I was reading the Bible? What if people knew that I'm reading this old, weird book? But I kept doing it. Then I went to college. I went to the Harvard of the Upper Midwest, South Dakota State University. I was in Young Hall, second floor. I was up on my loft, and every night I would pop on my lamp, and I would read a little bit of the New Testament. Every night, pop on my lamp, just read a little bit, not a lot. I'd read a little bit of the New Testament. And in a year, I got through the entire thing. And then I had a random acquaintance who ended up becoming my best friend. He invited me to my first Bible study, and I did not want to go. I just forewarned Nobody ever wants to go to their first Bible study, by the way. It's super weird. But I went anyways. And they were reading through the book of Ephesians. And we would spend almost a whole hour on one or two verses. I was like, I had no idea there was so much in this book. But not only would we spend all that time, we would talk about, how does this apply to my life? That year in that Bible study, it transformed me in so many ways. I've been reading the Bible for about 20 years now. And the only thing that I regret, the only thing I regret is that I haven't read it more. It's the only thing I regret. Because there is nothing that has changed my life more than this book. It's challenged me. It's convicted me. It's helped me. But most importantly, it showed me who Jesus is. So yes, the book is a little weird, but it's still so worth reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, the Bible, your breath, your revelation, the uncovering, the revealing of who you are. It is truly a miracle, God, that it has lasted as long as it has, that it has been, we have five billion copies of the Bible in the world. It just blows my mind to think of what that book has done. Lord, we pray that it would do the same thing in our lives. Lord, would you change us by the reading of your word? Would you inspire us by the reading of, reading of your word? Would you challenge us and would you lead us more to Jesus? We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If today's message encouraged you or if there's someone who comes to mind that you think might need to hear today's message, take a moment now to share it with them. 